Public Utilities Commission is called to order. This is the uh, last of the meetings, of the last and continuation of the, la of the uh, budget hearing. Um, so can we have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Here. Vice President Rivera? Here. Commissioner Jami? Here. Commissioner Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. You have a quorum. All present. Okay, so um, I'd like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Muecla Ohlone tribe and other familiar descendants of the historically federally recognized Mission San Jose of Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Muecla Ohlone tribe's aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Molecula Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many great area, San Francisco Bay Area communities today. So let's call the first item, number three, which is a summary of the budget hearings. And if there are any questions, Donna, can you read it officially? Mm -hmm. Yes, item number three is a summary of budget hearing questions. Okay, Madam Secretary, um, there was one question that came up uh, last week, uh, last meeting from um, Commissioner Maxwell that I wanted to address, and it had to deal with the issue of um, contracting out and correlation of um, uh, staff vacancies. Um, just want to make clear that there is no correlation between contracting out and staff vacancies. Consultants are not replacing silver service staff, but are at most augmenting PUC staffing and only for specific approved reasons. To receive an exception to the general rule that services are to be provided by employees, there are specific criteria that are applied, a documented procedure, notice to our labor partners and oversight by the city's civil service commission. Anyone looking to contract work out must answer whether civil service classes can perform the work. Reasons to allow generally fall into three categories. Number one, immediate needs and emergencies to address unanticipated or transitional situations or emergency situations. Two, short-term or capital projects for projects requiring diverse skills, expertise, or knowledge. And three, as needed, intermittent or periodic services when services are required sporadically or during peaks in workload. With the exception of infrastructure, which due to the nature of its work uses many professional services contracts, the amount of contracts in the agency is very small. Looking at the ratio of professional services consultants to PUC staff, it is about 13% for the water enterprise, 7% for wastewater, and 9% for power. Infrastructure has a clear process to work through um, contracting needs to ensure that the SFPUC gets the expertise it needs to deliver on its projects, but still ensures city workers perform as much work as possible. Of those, only a very small fraction of these are actually doing work that city staff could do, but we contract out due to vacancies. For wastewater, it's nine staff, five of which are in the collections systems division and four in the Planning and Regulatory Compliance Division. For power, 
It's for staff, which forms a high-voltage crew, not a professional services contract. And for water, it's 34, six of which are at uh, uh, City Distribution Division, and 28 are at Hetch Hetchy Water and Power. Bottom line, there is a process, very well-defined and public, with notice to our labor partners, and our numbers show that it is used very sparingly. The contract, the contract form is posted for all union classifications related to the scope of work, and unions have an opportunity to review and object to the posted form. So um, I know that we have uh, uh, Wendy Macy, our chief people officer, here to answer any questions, but I wanted to make sure that we answered that question about correlation up front so that we could in, uh, ensure that um, you were confident that most of the work being done here is being done by our city staff. Thank you, Mr. Herrera, for that clarification and for the fast answer. And uh, Commissioner Maxwell, a comment? I know that you had initiated that uh, question. Yes. Thank you, and I'm glad to hear it. And, and I am also, and again, thank you for um, responding so quickly. I know that uh, as I was coming up here today, it's, it's clear that uh, the entire city coalition from all departments, you know, all city employees are in bargaining right now as we speak. And I know that the issue is, is that people are uh, very, always very nervous that, you know, you know, with layoffs and budget crunches that people are going to get squeezed out. And it's glad to be reminded that this city does have a policy about contracting out that's very specific in which city workers I pr prioritize. So thanks for that uh, timely reminder. Any other comments or, or questions regarding the past meeting? Seeing none, um, let's read the official item number three, please. Um, actually, we need public comment on this item. Oh, yes. Um, so let's open this up to public comment. Do any questions? members of the public present provide comment on item number three? Seeing none. Seeing none and obviously none online. So um, let us go to the next item, please. Item four, Power Enterprise and Clean Power SF, fiscal year 24, 25, and 25, 26, operating in capital budgets and 10-year capital plan. And we have, uh, welcome, Ms. Hale. Thank you, Barbara Hale. Sorry. Thank you, Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power. Thank you for um, holding on all the way to your fourth budget workshop. <laughs> Here we are uh, to talk about power. So uh, today I'll provide an introduction for some context, provide uh, a brief reminder of our levels of service, which you adopted uh, in just in November of 2023. And, and those really you know, ground our work. And then get into our budget requests and how they help us meet our levels of service and priorities. Let me begin uh, with how Power Enterprise is organized to do our work. The Power Team is divided into four organizational groups, each led by a deputy manager. They are here today to hear your guidance and feedback and assist with any questions I have, so please allow me to introduce each of them. Moving from uh, left to right on the org chart that you see here, we have our operations deputy manager position which is vacant due to a retirement, so our next level of leadership is here. Uh, I'm gonna ask each member to stand uh, to be acknowledged. Rich Stevens is managing our Power Utility Field Services team. Sunita Jones leading our uh, Wholesale and Retail Services team. 
and Matt Ho, who leads our distribution engineering efforts. Then we have uh, Catherine Spaulding, who manages our programs and planning work. Mike Himes, who manages our Clean Power SF and power resource work. And Pamela Husing, who manages our interactions with PG&E on the wholesale distribution tariff litigation and uh, settlement efforts, and who uh, manages our federal acquisition project. So you see the functions in the staff each overseas here on the, on the org chart. Um, I just want to take an opportunity to publicly acknowledge the great work that these folks do. Um, you often see me, right? Uh, it's these people, right, and the teams that they lead that are really doing the work and, to serve San Franciscan um, residents, businesses, and local public services with our clean, affordable, and reliable power. So I just want to take a minute to say thank you to them. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Uh, this staff that you see on the org chart here, they, they apply their skills to both of our, our retail electric service programs, right? Our Hetch Hetchy Power program and our Clean Power SF program, and they charge their time accordingly. So for example, we have, uh, we have to perform demand forecasting um, activities. The demand forecasting staff report up to SUNY. They forecast the Hetchy load, and they forecast the Clean Power SF load losing, using the, the same tools and resources. So we share skills and resources and make sure the benefiting ratepayer is charged for the work. This attention ensures uh, fair cost allocation and supports our cost-based rate making for each of the programs. So now let's do a quick review of the programs themselves. Power Enterprise operates these two retail electric programs and operates and maintains our street and pedestrian lighting systems. So Hetchy Power is San Francisco's publicly owned retail electric utility, Clean Power SF, San Francisco's community choice aggregation option. Power serves about 386,000 retail accounts. 75% of the electricity that's consumed in San Francisco is produced by our team. Each program has its own operating and capital budgets with street lighting included in the Hetchy program. Different program budgets are due to the fact that we have distinct rate pairs in each of the programs. The Hetchy customer base is dominated by city and county services, San Francisco's Muni system, SFO, the general hospital, city hall, police and fire stations, libraries, our own water and wastewater, enterprises, and a growing number of businesses and residents through our redevelopment efforts, like the Transbay Terminal, the uh, Hunters Point Shipyard, Pier 70, and the redeveloped portions of Treasure and Europe, Babuena Islands. They make up the 6,300 Hetchy customer accounts you see on the slide here. Clean Power SF customers include residents like yourselves, your neighbors, your neighborhood businesses, and larger commercial customers like Salesforce Tower. They make up, <clears throat> excuse me, the 380,000 plus Clean Power SF customer accounts. The Hetchy program budget is about 220 million, and the Clean Power SF budget totals about 370 million this year. All of our customers benefit from local accountability and responsiveness, cleaner non-nuclear supplies, a dedicated local represented workforce, and more affordable and stable rates. 
Hetchy Power Service to the city and county of San Francisco customer departments lowers the cost of city services. We project more than $50 million in savings to the general fund departments just this fiscal year, 50 million. For enterprise customers like water, port, the airport, and our Hetchy commercial and residential customers, we project more than 70 million in savings on their power bills this fiscal year. And that doesn't include the rate increase that PG&E is anticipated to implement in March. So when I'm talking about these savings, I'm saying relative to who else could be providing them service, and that's PG&E. $120 million has been saved in one year by having Hetchy Power Service available here in San Francisco. In calendar year 2023, so that was Hetchy. In calendar year 2023, Clean Power SF service to residents and customers uh, customer businesses saved San Franciscans more than $50 million. More affordable rates means our customers have dollars in their pockets to spend on their needs and desires. So with that context, let's now discuss how much revenue we're talking about, right? How much are we taking in and how are we spending it? Uh, remember, commissioners, you heard from uh, AGM of Business Services and CSO, CFO Nancy Hom and our Deputy CFO and Budget Director Laura Bush that we have a total proposed operating budget for the PUC of $2 billion uh, in the first year of the budget and 2.1 in the second. From these revenue totals, powers ratepayers are funding $623 million and $658 million for the two budget years. That's... Um, the upcountry uh, uh, expenditures that our ratepayers fund, that's the expenditures here in San Francisco and through our HECHI program that our ratepayers fund and the Clean Power SF program. That amounts to about a 31% share of the agency total budget. The difference between the revenue totals you see here and the budget proposals are the contributions to meeting our reserves and fund balance. So while we collect $728 million from our power ratepayers in fiscal year 25, we're only proposing to spend $623 million, right? The rest stays in the bank. Now let's talk uh, about how we'll spend those revenues. <clears throat> we're proposing to spend those revenues. What you see on the donut chart here breaks out the uses funded by Hetchy Power ratepayers, both capital and operating, local and upcountry, and, you know, we use these terms local and upcountry, right? Um, local's a little con confusing, so is upcountry. Local refers to the expenditures that are supporting our streetlights in San Francisco, um, supporting our Hetchy Power service to our customers that are located in multiple counties. Um, San Francisco, San Mateo, Alameda, Tuolumne, wherever the city has facilities, Hetchy Power is the power provider. And upcountry includes the facilities managed by the Hetch Hetchy Water and Power Division whose geographic scope ranges from the Sierra to the Coast Range in Newark, as, as AGM Ritchie described. Uh, he also presented the budget proposal for the upcountry Hetchy uh, uses. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's the blue parts on the donut here, referred to in the budget as Hetchy Water, where Hetchy power ratepayers fund the power costs and 55% of the joint costs. Today, I'm just going to present the Hetchy local budget proposals and the Clean Power SF proposals, right? So um, let's dig into the details um, on the uses in these next slides. 
But first, let's, we'll do the Clean Power SF revenues. So this pie chart breaks out the uses funded by Clean Power SF ratepayers. Uh, the Clean Power SF budget totals 452, $452 million and $446.9 million in the two budget years. This is a very dull chart because our Clean Power SF ratepayers are predominantly funding uh, operating costs. And the operating costs are dominated by the purchase of power and reliability products. Now we'll talk about our, uh, our, how our proposed budgets relate to our priorities and levels of service. So you have seen this uh, slide throughout our, our budget hearings, right? Power, like the rest of the agency, is keying in on affordability through our capital planning and program development, responsible management, and investing where it matters. I'll discuss these broad priorities and the red-boxed subordinate priorities as they relate to the specific operating and capital requests that I'm presenting. So you'll see that, that linkage as, the, as we go through the slide deck. Power also tests the proposals against our levels of service presented to you and adopted in November. Um, to recap, here are the five which are tied to fun functional budget areas. Power supply. That's where we're talking about reliable, clean, competitive power supply. Transmission services, where we focus on it being cost-effective and reliable. Power distribution, again, cost-effective and reliable. City programs, that's safe, reliable, valuable to customers. These are programs, streetlights, uh, and then power administration, where we're enhancing customer and user satisfaction is the focus. We have 19 objectives and nearly 100 detailed performance metrics behind these levels of service. We use these performance metrics in our annual planning process and to identify gaps and inform our HECHI power and clean power SF budget requests. And here is the result for the HECHI power program. You see the growth <clears throat> from the adopted budget, the first stacked bar. What you're seeing here is I would characterize as modest growth in the first budget year, more in the second. The growth is really driven by capital needs and debt service in both budget years. That's the gray and darker green at the top of each bar. And in the second budget year, an increase in the purchase of power component, which for the Hetchy program includes distribution charges from PG&E. And that's the large orange bar at the bottom. Here's the same information in raw numbers, highlighting the overall growth of 3% and 13% over the two budget years. And you can see the drivers and their influence on the growth. With the first budget year, capital and debt service contributing 9% of the overall 3% growth, and those drivers together with the purchase of power and distribution contributing 10% of the overall 13% growth. The decrease in... Uh, power purchase and distribution, that, that negative uh, 13.4 million, uh, is mostly a reduction in distribution costs paid to PG&E due to corrections and true-ups um, on how PG&E calculated our costs. The technical there's a technical reduction there of the Clean Power SF work order as well, that 2.1 million, and that represents a change really in administrative timekeeping practices. Power Enterprise staff who support both Clean Power SF and, and HECHI, as I said before, charge their time directly to the program they're working on 
rather than indirectly charging their time to a work order that is billed later. So we're trying to be more efficient and direct with that administrative change. Same dollar amounts just being treated a little differently in this budget going forward than in prior budgets. The rest of the changes relate to operating budget proposals that I'm gonna describe later in the presentation. And though not a driver of growth, uh, labor, the top row, is always an important cost and valued resource. So here we have the Hetchy Power position changes that we're requesting. A total of 17 new positions over the two budget years and nine temporary positions that we, we request be made permanent. We have repurposed positions we where we could, resulting in 12 substitutions. We have trained and invested in quality staff, but they won't stay with power if the position is temporary or limited term. They'll jump to another department as soon as a permanent position arises. So generally, the new positions here address emerging needs and to meet the pace of our customer needs. So that was an overview of Hetchy. Let me now do an overview for Clean Power SF using the same priorities and levels of service. You see the growth from the adopted budget, the first stacked bar, significant growth in the first budget year, stable in the second. The growth is driven by an increase in the purchase of power component, that large orange bar at the bottom. Here's the same information in raw numbers, highlighting the overall growth of 22% and 1% over the two budget years. And you can see the driver and its influence on the growth, its purchase of power, that first budget year it contributes 18% of the overall 22% increase. Programmatic projects for Clean Power SF are primar primarily uh, customer programs. We go into the details on slide 22 for both Hetchy and uh, Clean Power SF on that, that change that you see. And here we have the Clean Power SF position changes that we're requesting, a total of Five new positions over the two budget years, seven temporary positions that we request be made permanent, and one substitution where we've repurposed an existing position already in our budget. Again, this is really about retention and addressing emerging needs. These position changes are not drivers behind the budget increase. Um, so let's dive into what really are the drivers. I've identified purchase of power as a cost driver. And at your first hearing, you heard the same from our deputy CFO and financial planning director, Ms. Corvanova, described the high energy costs and how they are factored into the Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF financial plans and anticipated rates. Both of our programs participate in the wholesale market for energy, reliability products like resource adequacy, and clean energy products like renewable portfolio standard and GHG-free attributes. See the steep increase starting in 2020? It peaks and then stabilizes, but really at a much higher value. And while uh, prices are increasing, so is our customer de demand. So from a financial perspective, it's both cost and volume that increase the need. On the left here, you see the impact on Hetchy with the orange, or does it come out orange? Yeah, kind of yellowy orange bar representing power purchases and delivery costs. So we have higher energy costs, 
higher charges from PG&E for delivery of power to our customers over the grid they own, and increased sales volume. All three contribute to the Hetchy increased expenses over the financial plan period that you see here. And then on the right, you see the impact on Clean Power SF. You see the orange power supply bar bump up the expenses in 2025. The higher power prices are sustained throughout the financial planning horizon. And for Clean Power SF, again, increased sales volumes are, are there, but they're more tempered, so the slope is less steep than for the Hetchy um, uh, picture on the left. So that's all by way of background and context for the specific requests. Before I get into the specific operating requests, I'm going to go ahead and pause and see if there's any questions of, on what I've presented so far, please. Commissioner Jami. <clears throat> Thank you, Ms. Hill. That was uh, very informative. I have a question for you. Uh, um, this is maybe um, um, a little bit more clarification rather than uh, content. So why do we have the cost of using PG&E's assets under uh, Hetchetchi Power versus the Clean Power SF? Because the way we provide that service to people is true clean power SF, right? No, let's, let's, let's make sure I'm clear on this. Um, so for the Hetchy Power program, we're providing fully bundled electric service. So we purchase from, well, let me back up. We generate the power, right? Yeah. We deliver it. Um, it comes to San Francisco via you know, transmission system and distribution. So we engage with the California ISO to get it here, right? We engage with PG&E to distribute it around to our customers' meters. We purchase distribution services for the Hetchy program as a wholesale customer of PG&E. So on the Hetchy side of our budget, for purchasing power, we include those distribution charges. All right? Okay. For Clean Power SF, under state law, PG&E continues to meter, bill, distribute, respond to outages, they provide those services. It's not a bundled utility service like Hetchy Power is. So when you open your Clean Power SF bill, it's a PG&E bill, it's PG&E branded. There's one page, and that's just for our generation services. PG&E is providing the distribution, the transmission. Um, there's other charges on the PG&E bill, right? So that's why you see purchase of power in the Clean Power SF budget. You don't see distribution charges there but you do see distribution charges on the Hetchy Power Bill because we're providing the distribution service. Got it. Um, and then uh, one quick question is, imagine we managed to acquire those assets. Mm -hmm. um, how would this chart differ if we are the one who are providing the assets? I'm wondering, like, mm -hmm. anticipating the budget that's going to come down at some point if we uh, are successful in that process, uh, would this shrink? Would this grow? I mean, I think this, that mm -hmm. we still need to pay for the uh, distribution, operation of the assets, taking care of them, all of that, right? Right. We would still, we would, um, under this scenario where we are the owner of the grid in San Francisco, we would then have the cost for operating and maintaining the grid. We would be in charge of what improvements sure. we make. Uh, so we would see a, a capital plan changes associated with that. We would see operating and maintenance changes associated with that. We have projected 
in looking at the, the cost of the purchasing the system, um, estimating what we would be in, including in a 10-year capital plan to improve the system over a financial planning horizon, um, looking at what it would cost to operate and maintain the system if we owned it. If we were providing fully bundled um, electric service as a publicly owned utility in San Francisco, those costs would come below what it would cost San Franciscans for uh, PG&E power. Okay. So we see it as providing an opportunity to bring uh, lower cost power, greater responsiveness, better accountability to the um, regulators, yourselves and our board and our mayor. Um, so a overall improvement for um, San Franciscans. And the budget process would include all those uh, conversations about what are we gonna invest those ratepayer dollars in, right? right? The same kind of conversations we're having here today, we would be having just on that greater scope. Yeah, and I understand that, and I appreciate it. I just wanna make sure, like, I know that we have done some analysis in the background to make sure we know how that cost is gonna look like. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. like, are we continuously um, sort of looking into that because that bar can mm -hmm. be smaller or depending on what quality we are, uh, the assets are left in, can grow. So it's, it may shrink, but I'm wondering like, how certain we are is going to shrink. And, um, mm -hmm. and again, this is not a, um, it is important for our broader budget discussion, maybe not for the next two years, um, but I was just trying to understand how that the size of the bar would change to 2034 if we are a different looking utility. Yes, yes. Yeah, so larger, and yes, we are continuously um, looking at those numbers. Uh, we have uh, information that's publicly available about PG&E's system. We are querying them um, for more information to make sure that we have as much information as we can on the uh, condition of the system as we look at that financial question, right? Okay. Um, and one last question I have on this is, uh, when you're, we are looking at the slide, give me one quick second, slide nine, um, I have a feeling that, you know, the one that shows yes. the, all the bars and the priorities we have, uh, you know, I have a feeling that all those boxes applies to every enterprise, right? <laughs> And I do recognize that, for example, we adopted affordability policies for water and wastewater, mm -hmm. but if we are a fully-fledged utility, we potentially need to have something like that for power. So I'm wondering if it's important to kind of put some of those, ahead, like, or for example, another example for you, it's like addressing regulatory requirements, which is not uh, highlighted here, but the utility, the require, regulatory requirements for electric utilities are also evolving due right. to wildfires, flooding, a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how we make decisions about which one of those boxes we should highlight and which ones we shouldn't. Um, go ahead. Yeah, so you're right. We're doing all of these things, right? right. And what I'm highlighting here with the red is just those that are um, in, involve a proposal that's before you. So you're right. We have a regulatory team. We're completely engaged at the California PUC, the California Energy Commission, the California Air Resources Board, the California ISO, mm -hmm. the legislature. 
trying to make sure that our interests, our ratepayers' interests, are well represented, and we're, we're making sure that the regulations that come down align with San Francisco's values without being overly burdensome and costly to our ratepayers, right? Okay. And that links to affordability. Um, we don't have an affordability policy yet for that applies, as you, as you mentioned, to our clean power programs, but we are ever vigilant on affordability. Okay. Um, we just don't have a proposal in the, in the bu budget before you that directly connects with that box. Got so it. that's why it's not highlighted. Okay. So we are looking at this. We are doing the, all these boxes. Those mm -hmm. are the ones you have highlighted are the ones that you are asking for changes in the budget. Yes. For the, okay. Thanks for clarifying that. You're welcome. Mr. Maxwell. Thank you, and thank you for a great report. Um, and with that said, then could you give me an example when you, since uh, on the same slide, nine, oh. accountability, racial equity, and transparency. And so what, since you said that it's because you, this is related to what you're talking about today, uh, could you explain to me or give me an example of, of what you mean by that and how you're working on it? Sure, sure. So I talked about the regulatory um, involvement we have, right? Uh, lots of attention there. Um, but really, when it comes to the um, um, racial equity and accountability, I think that goes more to our programs where we're interfacing with our customers. So we have, um, you'll see a slide later where I describe the different customer programs we offer for Hetchy and for Clean Power SF. We have a practice of focusing on addressing disadvantaged and low-income communities within our programs. You know, where are we going to spend our program dollars? Our focus is on low-income and disadvantaged communities, and I think that's very responsive to that, that particular box. Okay, and so then when you say power administration enhanced customer and user satisfaction, is that... How does that work? Is that a part of what you're talking about? Yes. So we have, um, for example, our customer engagement team mm -hmm. um, sits with customers who are prospective. You know, maybe it's a developer who's thinking about uh, the choice between Hetchy and Clean Power SF mm -hmm. or PG&E uh, service. Uh, maybe it's a, um, a newly constructed affordable housing building. Um, we have uh, a large number of affordable housing customers who are coming from um, housing authority um, legacy buildings, right, into new buildings in San Francisco. The legacy buildings tended to be master metered, which means the tenants did not receive a, an electric bill. Our customer engagement team goes to the new building as the customers come in, as the uh, tenants come in. We have community meetings on site to help them understand Hetchy Power as, a, as their power provider, to go over the bill and to help them understand what an electric bill, you know, all the different elements, it's complicated. Um, and if you don't have a habit uh, uh, of interacting with an electric utility, um, you know, it's, it, we take that, uh, um, that accountability, that relationship, that, you know, how do we efficiently get our message across uh, seriously, and that's a, an example of that. Wow, that's great. Because then that's more people to vote in favor of because they have an idea. That's great. And then um, how many positions do you have all together? Oh, uh, I have that here. Give me a moment. It's on that early slide where we talk about the two programs. 
what is it, 200 and, hang on a second. I know I have it, sorry. I'm flipping through here and I'm not seeing it off, right off, but it's around 250, I think, when you include the, um, the um, on and off budget positions. 213, sorry, thank you. So it's 213. Yes. And then, so you're asking for how many positions altogether? So we have new positions for Clean Power SF that are um, 12, thir 12 new positions, well, five new, seven converted from temporary to permanent for Clean Power SF, and for Hetchy, 17 new positions, nine converting from temporary to permanent. Okay, so how many? And that's over the two years for each of those. So how many is that? You have a number of people, somebody figure that out, how many? New positions is uh, 22. And 213. I'm okay. bad at math and it with All a right, camera rolling. It's 230, 235 positions altogether at the end of yes. the 2025. I think. Yes. Okay. Um, you think that's right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Excuse me. And, and you have, um, going back, how many vacancies do you have now? So our vacancy rate, I think, is around 23% at this point. It's like, huh, that's a familiar number. I think 23%. Um, 15.3 for Hetchy and 16.8 for Clean Power SF. Oh, sorry, that's the attrition number. Okay, so 14.6 vacancies for clean power, 27.4 vacancies for Hetchy. And that was in December. Wow, okay. We've done so some onboarding since then. Might, I'm sorry, Commissioner. It might be helpful if you also, just, so, just like we did with for consistency stake that we did with Steve Robinson, how many uh, are in the hiring process at this point, if you know that information. Oh, uh, I don't have that off the top of my head. Sorry, um, but we have um, a, a majority of those vacancies are moving through the hiring process now. We do have quite a few vacancies in the classification that is a 5602 utility specialist where we're waiting for the next list to be published. So what is a so 5602 specialist? A, a utility specialist performs um, analytical work they have to come with some ex, some um, at least three years of experience mm -hmm. in um, working at a utility. So it's not an entry level position typically. Gotcha. Um, so they have some maturity in the in the in the business. Uh, they that is a one of our core positions um, within power, um, where uh, where we have exhausted the existing civil service lists and are waiting for the next list to come out. So that's an example of what sort of in process, one of the sort of push me, pull me points, right? Where the city puts together a list, we have to wait for a fresh list to be able to make hires. Uh, 5601s were um, anticipating a list. I think that list is, is that one done? Was just established. So the 5601 um, utility analyst position is the entry level 
uh, position, you can come, you have to have a college degree. I don't think there's substitutions approved by the city process yet um, for that. Uh, and those positions, you know, that list just came out, so we'll be filling uh, those vacancies as we go through the interview process for, um, for utility analysts. We have a number of vacancies in very hard to hire classifications. Um, the general manager at the opening in, the, in item three in answering questions mentioned that we have high voltage crews augmentation for, for members um, that are contracted. Uh, we have like eight vacancies or so in that job classification. Um, it's open continuously for hire. Uh, anytime someone says they're interested, we bring them in and, and interview them if they've met the minimum qualifications as a high voltage line worker. Um, but oftentimes they either, um, uh, some of the challenges we have in that area are they um, are not qualified to work in the United States um, or they will have to move from a distance and we do not provide move, move um, reimbursement. Uh, so it, it can be very challenging when we do get candidates. Uh, sometimes we've, we've found that when they realize the job is located in San Francisco, uh, that it, they, they decline because they can't see how they can make it work financially, or they just don't want to live in an urban setting. Um, so those are some of the, the job classifications that we have vacancies in today and what our efforts are in filling them. Are we also competing with um, other utilities for these same people? Yes, the, um, the so we're, com yes, we compete with other utilities, especially for um, the high, in the high voltage classifications. Um, and we have been uh, working with HRS and DHR to um, address uh, some of the um, compensation um, differences between ourselves and PG&E, for example. Um, and, and have had some success in the last uh, um, negotiations where labor and, and uh, management came to agreement on making some salary adjustments increases for the high voltage line worker class. Uh, we also compete very much with um, the CCAs, frankly, as yeah. well. You know, there are, there are um, community CCAs choice. CCAs for the public are, CCAs are what? That's the community choice, thank you. That's the community choice aggregation programs like Clean Power SF that are operated in other um, cities and counties in the Bay Area and throughout California. There's now, I think, 26 operating uh, community choice aggregation programs in California. We have um, alumni, I like to think of them as alumni, um, uh, from our Hetchy and Clean Power SF programs working at six different community choice aggregation programs in California now um, at all levels. Uh, you know, the director of San Jose's community choice aggregation program is a, a former employee of ours. Um, communications, um, data analysts, you know, any, any of our uh, skill sets, right, are attractive to uh, these other depart these other um, uh, local government agencies and they have uh, very relaxed, most of them have very relaxed um, um, requirements for, you know, uh, work, when they have to come into the office, where they can live, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
So it's a tough competition, uh, but we have a strong staff. Uh, and, and I think uh, a very compelling message as we go out and recruit uh, with the, the kind of growth and development we're seeing in, our, in both of our programs. Yes, I do too. And I, I, I wish there was a, um, it just seems that people knew the savings that they, that they were reaping. And if we had a way of doing billboards or something saying, you know, every time something happens, PG&E has these great commercials. And, you know, and so when you, when you look at them, you think, oh, my goodness, you know, and then you remember, oh, oh okay, that's what they did. But it seems to me <laughs> there needs to be some way that we can do um, some outreach, you know. I mean, billboards are on the buses or on Muni and, and telling people, this is what you're saving. You know, this is what you are giving because you own this. And if there was some message um, that we could give people not only power, we need to do it in everything that we do, but um, I, I just think it would, it would really be a great story and people would certainly appreciate whatever it is that they are doing since it's their power. Yes, well, I've given you the numbers. You're our spokespeople, but yes, I, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> I understand, would, but we I've have done had, my 15 people, we, okay? We need better. <laughs> we have, um, in the past, we have done, um, like you say, the Muni yeah. um, awareness campaigns about, about the program offerings we have. Um, so we can continue to work with our um, communications team and discuss what's appropriate well, and what's appropriate, and maybe what's not appropriate, and then we can find out it's not appropriate later. But I mean, I just—it just seems that we, we, we have a great story, and you, you with 230 people have done amazing work, just amazing work. <clears throat> thank so you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, um, Commissioner Stacy. <clears throat> uh, just. A couple of comments in response to Commissioner, or because of Commissioner Maxwell's uh, comments. It, it really it seems so difficult to recruit these very specialized mm -hmm. um, positions, especially when there's as much competition. And uh, I actually have heard from uh, some other managers of other um, organizations, they talk about how difficult it is and how mm -hmm. competitive the field is. Um, I also, I have to say, every time I see a PG&E commercial or a PG&E sponsorship, I think, well, that's why they cost more. And <laughs> so I, 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 I agree with Commissioner Maxwell that, that we really, our story is compelling and um, important to mm -hmm. get out there. I think we, we do that. And I also acknowledge, though, that that kind of advertising and sponsorship can also itself be uh, expensive. Mm -hmm. I have um, just a, a detailed question on your charts on pages 12 and 15. Mm -hmm. You have a category all other, and I assume that's everything else in these divisions that doesn't rise to uh, the level of being sort of a line item. But I see growth in both Hetch Hetchy and Clean Power SF in 25-26 request over the 24-25 request. It, it, I, I'm guessing that some of the line items that show up in 24-25 just have decreased in their amount, so now they, they're showing up in all other, but 
but there's a lot of other growth. Do you have any um, details on, on, on why that increase is happening or, or what might be some examples of everything else? Sure. I'll let Laura take care of that. Good morning, everyone. Laura Bush, Deputy CFO. You're exactly right. That's all kind of the miscellaneous things that didn't rise to a higher category, either a category that we know is driving the budget, such as the power purchase costs, uh, the colas on labor, or the new proposals that um, Ms. Hale's about to walk through. Uh, so that is things like um, inflationary costs, um, smaller changes that didn't rise, that weren't material enough to um, you know, bring here. And... Um, I don't exactly know what's driving that growth in the second year. We can certainly get back to you on that, but um, it's it's things like inflationary costs on things that were kind of put into the base budget um, and kind of smaller changes throughout the budget. Yeah, and I see oh, that we've lost right. a couple of yeah. line items in that yeah. year, in, which I, I assume end up in all other. Sorry, I missed Is that it, one. We a couple of the line items that show up in the first fiscal year don't show up in the second fiscal year, so I assume they've been incorporated into all other because they're just a smaller line item. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, and I, also, I think the, uh, the primary driver on the change in the Hetchy, all other, was um, insurance costs, making adjustments for insurance costs. I see insurance as a line item um, for Hetch Hetchy. The risk management work order, is that, does that cover insurance costs? In the second year, yes. Yeah. Yes, Nancy Helm, uh, <coughs> Chief Financial Officer. And the risk management work order does cover uh, services from the city administrator's office, risk management for their staff costs, inclusive of any premiums that we pay for our insurance policies. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. <coughs> Jami has a question, yes. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to say, maybe a follow-up on um, Commissioner Maxwell and some of the things I've uh, mentioned in the other uh, hearings we have had, which is maybe it is important for us to have a line item. It probably needs to go in the external affairs since that's where our communication sits to um, allocate more sort of directed resources into advertising. Um, you know, I get a lot of calls from friends when they get their like little page that says 92,000 tests every year on your water, right? And, you know, imagine if that shows up on TV, right? Or on people's Twitter accounts or whatever it is called now, or other uh, places that people interact with. I think that is, that we should do that just because and also the same way for the, for our CCA, for our Clean Power SF, for um, you know the Hetch Hetchy Power. I think we are learning more and more that communication is key in the way people sort of trust and believe in the services we provide to them, right? And we need to make sure we are good at communicating everything that we do. Um, because if we have to raise rates, then we don't need to explain ourselves every time. If we are changing a service from here to there, we don't need to explain. Like, I think we need to be a lot more active in the process of communicating out. So I'm just maybe, like, I'm proposing maybe we need to think about having a budget line item that is focused on 
better communicating to public on everything. I think I agree with you whenever I see these advertisements that, you know, pg and &E talks about their uh, committed staff and how they always show up to, uh, you know, every situation that happens. I mean, we have the same thing. I, you know, we every day show up to emergencies that, uh, that come up and somebody has to film one of those and put in a 30 second advertisement in the middle of the Warriors game and say, look, this is who we are. I think this is important. And I would, I personally think we should actually dedicate or allocate budget to it just because we want to make sure we are not just this hidden service that people just hear about when mm -hmm. we have a, you know, an emergency or something that's quite, um, uh, you know, disastrous. So that's my personal proposal to thinking about the budget in a way that we can I, do that. I would just say, commissioners, that we agree with you um, with respect to communication, and we are constantly um, looking and uh, evaluating the best ways to communicate our message in a very, very positive way. As you recall, when we were talking about we just use an example of rates. We had a very robust um, campaign. So it is not something that we are um, unaware of, and we are constantly looking at the best ways to communicate to ensure that we are telling the uh, PUC um, story in the most effective way. We have greatly expanded our social media outreach. Uh, so it's something that we take ser seriously and we've done internally and in terms of coordinating externally with um, um, consultants that we have had on board. So we're always looking at that and we'll continue because we think we agree that uh, communicating in a positive way all the good things that um, the PUC is doing is uh, an important um, tool. And we're looking at the best way to get to people balancing it versus our, our, our cost. So we, are, um, we, we agree with you on that. But my, one thing I would say is my point here is not like doing it when we need to. It's doing it continuously. Yeah, I right? agree with you. Sort of like not when the drought hits, not when we have um, a rate increase, not when we have a, a challenge with X, Y, and Z. It's actually something that's reoccurring and constantly mm -hmm. is investing in this kind of communication. I, I mean, I, I, do, I, mean, I can't speak for other commissioners, but I'm certainly willing to think about how we can dedicate resources to something more, um, you know, continuous and recurring in that. Thank you, Commissioner. Yeah. And before you continue, I also would like to make a couple of uh, add-ons to <coughs> what the commissioners have already said. I know that um, the city and this commission have come a long way in the last, I want to say, 15 to 25 years to come to the position where we are, where we have a proposal in to take over the grid. And, and our position is, is that this should be our power. And that's, that's taken a long political um, uh, journey and, and travels to get to mm -hmm. that point. It's, it's not been an easy road. And the fact that we are there right now 
um, is, is, is very important. So I think two things uh, come to my mind. One is, has already been noted, that we do without totally playing our hand um, in terms of you know, our power tactics and our legal tactics is that keeping the commissioners apprised of the what-if questions that have been asked. You know, if we have this, how are these costs going to change? Because not only just for PR, but just for our own budgetary purposes, just knowing you know, how much better we officially feel, but how much better we actually are going to see um, the cost um, containment um, that we have when we do get to that ultimate point um, of, uh, of acquiring um, those, those uh, resources so that those are under the umbrella of the SFPUC and you know and, and and part of that is is that I know that it you know it's it's actually been a hundred years from now where this same uh, where water you know went through this exact same thing you know the big ceremonies when when the Spring Valley Water Company was finally incorporated into the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission you know big ceremonies and you know it was fighting the big boss then and that is a history that we have here also I you know sometime in my spare time, I'm going to look at a little bit more. What were the final pressure points that got, you know, the robber barons to frankly say, okay, let's just give it to the city. It's not worth it to us anymore because they are going to be putting it into the city government and we are going to be taking care of it. So keeping us apprised of all that stuff, the what-if questions that other commissioners have asked is, I think, is going to be important to us uh, as, we, mm -hmm. as we keep going. And I know you have been doing that, but, you know, the emphasis I think you hear is, uh, is uh, acute. Um, from the other commissioners that we that we do take full charge of this both in the public uh, airways as well as within the policy and the interchange that you your your staff has with all the different agencies and commissions that you've already reported on so that being said unless there's any other um, comments um, Ms. Hale if we could just continue with the uh, your uh, proposals thank you so we're going to go on to specific operating requests now um, these first two um, uh, priorities, uh, meeting new customer demands and resilience and climate change fall under our investing where it matters pillar. You'll see a number of items I'll address, to, uh, speak to that. And the financial stability and responsible management of our system maintenance and workforce, reducing vacancies, increasing retention. That's all part of our responsible management pillar. Um, power interacts. Uh, speaking to the meeting new customer demands uh, pillar, uh, Power interacts with development project sponsors um, as these areas are transformed. We have multiple projects concurrently underway, and each project has multiple phases of construction. The workload increases require more staff to meet customer needs, and the skills needed to meet the needs should be aligned. We want to avoid precious engineer time for example, spent on more administrative or analytical tasks. Uh, each project involves agreements to provide access, scheduling, administrative and analytical work, planning and engineering. Many of these projects include affordable housing components. And the City Housing for All Action Plan includes improvement of existing um, buildings to meet affordable housing needs. Some of these facilities are Clean Power SF customers, as we talked about. Uh, many are also um, Hetchy Power customers. All include populations that we provide extra, extra support to on move-in. I talked about that a little bit already, where we ensured that they're enrolled in our customer assistance program and receive assistance in understanding their electric bills. The proposals you see here um, include non-personnel budget uh, for software and services that will improve our efficiency in processing those 
those new customer requests. Next, we have on the resilience and climate change pillar, energy efficiency and decarbonization investments, which are key part of, of our resilience and climate change actions. Uh, seeing growth in our customer base, including households with low incomes, we need to continue to implement the customer programs that you see listed here and develop more programs that continue to ensure low-income customers are part of the clean energy future, that we support building and transportation electrification with programs tailored to our built environment and our customer needs. Customers need support to meet local, regional, and state requirements. There I'm talking about, for example, the, the San Francisco Climate Action Plan. You know, it calls for 80% of trips taken in the city to be by low-carbon modes, such as electric vehicles and bikes. Um, aggressive goals for increased personal vehicle electrification. Uh, ambitious targets for all buildings to be zero emissions by 2040. The Bay Area Air Quality Management District has adopted really impactful regu regulations on um, natural gas heating equipment in your homes, such as domestic hot water heaters and furnaces to affect buildings in San Francisco starting in 2027. You know, at the state level, there's the California Energy Commission Title 24 building codes. They've continued to challenge both new and existing building owners with requirements for more distributed generation and higher efficiency building systems. The California Air Resources Board Clean Fleet regulations require all new vehicle purchases to be clean fueled. Without effective utility program support on a larger scale, than what is offered today, it will be difficult for our customers, especially low-income and historically underserved customers, to meet these goals and requirements. Uh, the position requests that you see here are temporary to permanent conversions, charging to projects. The non-personnel budget funds those positions that I just mentioned that are charging to the project, uh, and incentives paid and services provided to customers, professional services as well, to support development and delivery of the programs. As both our HECHI and Clean Power SF programs grow, we face increased complexity in the work we do. Incorporating new technology onto the grid, like battery storage, increases the complexity of the um, California Independent System Operator requirements for power scheduling. Time of use rates is another example. The requirements increase meter data management, billing, and rate making complexity. The new California PUC requirements for Clean Power SF to procure capacity to meet hourly requirements increases the complexity of our load forecasting, our purchase and sales, planning and implementation, and payment processing. The positions that you see uh, on this slide are a mix of temporary to permanent conversions, substitutions, and new. The non-personnel budget funds software and consultant support to make system improvements for efficiency to meet the regulatory requirements. Under the responsible management of systems and maintenance pillar, our first request um, supports maintenance and repair of our growing asset base. We have new physical distribution infrastructure. We need to keep pace with mapping and recording that infrastructure both what we install with our own crews and what the redevelopment projects hand over to us. We need to develop an outage management system for the Hetchy customer base as our residential and commercial customer base grows. 
we need to have the engineering staff to support operation, maintenance, and improvement of the facilities. And the engineers need software, memberships, and licenses to support their work. So that's what you see captured here in these proposals. Under the workforce, reducing vacancies and increasing retention pillar, an ongoing theme you have heard throughout these hearings is retention. <laughs> Power gets great support from the external affairs communications team and the business services customer service bureau. I, I do want to call out in particular the customer, um, excuse me, the communications team, as we just discussed, embedded in our budget here is support for the positions and um, professional services dollars. We need to keep these folks. They directly engage with our customers. They're the face and voice of our programs, particularly for Clean Power SF. Uh, we need to support stability and consistency in marketing and education and outreach. We need to support our communication goals to reach our underserved and neglected communities to ensure those population groups are included in the state's clean energy transition. That's what these funding um, requests and, and uh, position requests go toward. And we need to retain our origination and power supply staff as well, who are focused on long-term solicitations, integrated resource planning, and regulatory compliance. So that's the workforce. Other major operating requests. Um, our final operating request slide here is uh, to support non-personnel needs. We need to fund the charter required rate study and financial planning team that the fi financial planning team will manage and we need to fund insurance for power assets that are managed by uh, my team and the Hetch Hetchy Water and Power Division. That was a quick run through on my operating requests. Any questions before I move on to capital? Seeing none, let's keep going. Very good. We I'm have some up. new Hetchy projects. Yes. Oh, excuse me. Michelle, mm -hmm. um, I want to go to back to slide 22 and 23. Yes. Um, so on the resilience and climate change, um, you sort of touched on it, but I think maybe we need to outline that a little bit more. There, obviously, the challenges of extreme heat, reducing power or reducing flow, like all those things are going to impact. sort of adapting to climate change versus mitigating climate change. And what I see here is a lot of it is focused on mitigation. I'm not sure where your adaptation plan is sort of plays in. And I would say cost of insurance is one of those elements that are impacting a lot of utilities um, due to adapting to the unforeseen events that are happening, right, from wildfires to, uh, you know, every other thing that's happening uh, due to climate change. So I didn't see it here. I'm wondering if this is something that you're categorizing it under different categories, because I saw insurances in the last slide, obviously, mm -hmm. right? But it would be good to sort of, maybe this goes back to my earlier comment from the last couple sessions we, or meetings we have had, which is, sort of falls under that climate change piece sort of impacts every single Everything. one of these pillars. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously mitigation matters, and I'm very excited to see all this, but adaptation is going to be very much driving our operational costs, right? So uh, that's one thing. I'm happy yes. to hear if you have any comments. Yes, I think um, much of the adaptation work is in, um, I think, is in how we construct, right? 
um, how we anticipate um, what will need to change in our built environment. Uh, so you'll, you, we do that in our design um, efforts, right, as we, as we construct. Um, we're also um, very engaged with the, the resiliency work within capital planning, right, uh, which is very climate focused and is, has the city adapting to a new world. Um, and we're also going to need to um, adapt in the, on the power side in what we anticipate will be available to us in terms of generation. Um, and we talked about that when, when we presented our integrated resource plans. Um, so I think, I think that's where you see power adaptation happening. Um, we're not in this budget requesting any um, financial support in addition to what we already do for those, um, to accomplish those, ad those forms of adaptation. Um, but we are with respect to mitigation and that's what you see um, presented. And maybe my, I would like to encourage you, as I encourage the others, to think about like how much of these efforts that you're asking for is indirectly or directly is going into adaptation. Because, for example, your financial sustainability very much hinges on adaptation, load management, load forecasting. Um, you know, all of that has climate directly feeding into it. Right, um, you know, right. Just, you have, and that just iterates it, the changes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's not just uh, build infrastructure. It's also soft infrastructure you need to, add, to manage the vitality you're experiencing in the right. system. And I think, again, going back to the discussion, and also your workforce stuff. Yeah. All, I mean, I think it's crazy It's how everywhere. It's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And it's not just to make it this huge thing to deal with is the fact that you're doing it right now, you need to plan for it, right? And how do we sort of make sure we pull it out and make sure it is accounted for in the right way? Mm -hmm. And also, as I mentioned the other day, and you and I have had this conversation, it's like there are potentially opportunities for the power, wastewater, and water to collaborate around adaptation. So where are those opportunities lies and how can you use your budget in, in sort of making that transition happen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the whole like uh, cross-pollination that we constantly talk about, and not just uh, in building, but also in operating, right? Um, so just wanted to highlight that. Um, so yeah, and, I, and I'm hearing you. I'm, I'm really hearing you make a call for an intentionality. Yes. Rather than letting this kind of creep up on us, let's be intentional. I, I, I think right. I think we're hearing you. And especially on, I mean, the insurance piece is going to become a serious problem, right? We are just seeing the change and the transition in the insurance market, the mm -hmm. reinsurance market, and how they're sort of quickly adapting to what comes down the pipeline, mm -hmm. and we are the receiver of whatever they are going to pick up, right? Right. So how is that going to impact our bottom line, operational costs, uh, construction costs, I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, so that intentionality is really something I, I'm really hoping for as we are thinking about our budget and what we need and what we are doing on a daily basis. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. I would just like to thank Commissioner Ajami. I think that's, that's really great, and um, it really makes a lot of sense. Thinking about 
adaptation, and you talked about um, employees and people that were going to have to have, it seems like the C CCAs then could maybe come together, look at different kind of classifications, work with the state, work with um, other, I mean, we, we're surrounded by some of the greatest institutions of learning in the world and in the country. So maybe they could come up with some idea of what you all, how you all could work together um, and maybe have a different kind of classification. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the community choice community is really um, supportive of each other and so that coming together happens routinely. Uh, one of the more recent topics was um, right on point to what you're talking about, Commissioner, and that is forming um, an HR team uh, across the CCAs where we can share information, understand um, uh, each other's approaches to um, job classes, to mm -hmm. compensation, uh, to understanding what the um, um, uh, work performance environment is like, uh, to help us understand where we can distinguish ourselves in the recruiting conversations, to understand where we can amplify um, the opportunity, right? Because yeah. not everyone, you know, I've been with the city a long time and I was with the state a long time before that. Not everyone wants a job at the same place for a long time. They like the opportunity to move around. So knowing that you can market it as, you know, come work with us, you know that there are other opportunities, you get to stay in the community because it's, it's, they're also proximate to each other. Trying to look at ways to kind of leverage the opportunity and not just take it as a competition, right? right? Well, well, I'm also thinking, though, it's not just the people that are already educated and already know how to do this, but you right. have an opportunity then to go to community colleges, to set up a program, yeah. so, you know, that together, mm -hmm. because there's a volume of people that are going to need these folks, and, I mean, I, I would even think our own city college may, may be mm -hmm. a place where we could go and consider talking to people and educators and how we could come up with, with something. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Okay, Shale, let's continue. Capital. Okay, let's move on with capital. So we have some new Hetchy projects, uh, mostly expansion of distribution networks driven by customer and partner needs for increased electrification and growth in municipal agencies. Um, also including areas of strategic investment for revenue growth. Three projects with major scope um, uh, increase for customer growth are also included in my capital requests. And then the Clean Power SF capital plan is uh, much more modest with programs shifting to the operating budget and it's focused on local clean energy. So the Hetchy Capital Plan, $1.2 billion. Uh, let's see. Am I? I'm a little off. Sorry. Um, here's a summary of the numbers. Uh, we are seeing growth in demand for service, and that means new facilities, growth in our capital needs, right? You see the summary of key projects uh, on the right here that are driving this growth. Uh, and here is the criteria that we recommend for the projects that we recommend uh, be funded. We went through all of the proposals from staff asking these questions of ourselves. Does the project increase net new revenue? Does the project address the city's climate action and equity goals? 
Um, is the project necessary to serve uh, customers? Um, have we made commitments already with customers that we need to fulfill? And are we ready? Have we got everything lined up in terms of design and contracts, if there are any that are needed? Uh, so those are the, the questions we asked ourselves to determine which among the proposals should be brought to you. And here's how the, the projects fit uh, within the pillars. As we go through the proposals, you'll see each is flagged to the pillar. Um, and then let's go ahead and talk about our major investments. This package of projects is the largest category, the biggest driver of the requested increase in Hetchy Power Capital Plan. Uniquely, these projects will be delivered in partnership with customers. So for example, you have approved as a commission memorandums of understanding outlining the roles the PUC staff and SFO staff will perform to deliver improvements to the substations that we own and operate to serve SFO. Um, we're not relying on our infrastructure team internally, rather it's the customer and ourselves working on that project. The timing of these projects is also governed by customer needs, so this um, funding positions us to be responsive to customer needs. The new load behind these projects means we'll be able to spread fixed operating costs among a larger base, which can dampen upward pressure on rates for all customers. Now I'll address each of the, the three in a little more detail. So the SFO substation improvements. This project has been in the capital plan already. The scope has changed and the investment needed has increased. SFO has very aggressive plans to electrify and decarbonize excuse me, its operations and provide more vehicle charging services to airport patrons. Our substation capacity has to be increased to serve these growing needs. Uh, SFO and is uh, Hetchy's largest customer today. We really need to keep pace with their needs. That's important to us. So that's that project. Then we have the carbon-free steam project. Uh, this is a new proposed investment for Hetchy Power. For, and just by way of background, um, since this is a new one, I want to spend a little bit more time on it. <clears throat> Um, for decades here in San Francisco, many historic and uh, downtown buildings and the Civic Center buildings have been heated with steam. Uh, new buildings have also been added to the system over the years. An example of that would be um, the federal building on 7th. Uh, the city has both a customer and an overseer uh, role of sorts uh, for the system. Uh, and in particular, there, you know, the steam is created at two locations and, and distributed through a district uh, heating piping system. The owner-operator of the system is Cordia. They have a franchise agreement with San Francisco, so they are a franchised utility here in San Francisco. And um, they are a for-profit utility regulated by the California PUC. Several city facilities and civic center, including this hearing room, is a steam customer. And Hetchy Power and our PUC audits team collaborate with the controller's office to review the franchise fee remittances from Cordia. So over the years, this is just by way of saying, we've had kind of a regulatory role as well as a customer role um, with, with the, the steam loop operators. So that's our current relationship, right? 
With this project, we become partners with Cordia to convert the steam manufacture process from natural gas fueled to electricity. Cordia would become a Hetchy Power customer, decarbonizing the steam manufacture process. San Francisco's Climate Action Plan identifies decarbonizing the steam process as a high priority for San Francisco, so we see this as in alignment with our policymakers. The project allows all district heating customers connected to the system to decarbonize their buildings. Uh, it's a much more cost-effective, feasible approach than electrifying heating at each of those buildings. So the project would fund the work to plan, design, and build Hetchy Power's share of the transmission connection from PG&E substation to Cordia's steam plant downtown, where step-town facilities and connection to the plant would be constructed. Um, details on the responsibilities the PUC will take on and those Cordia will take on to complete the work are being discussed. And like we did with our SFO relationship, I expect we will bring that um, set of responsibilities, that commitment to this commission um, once we resolve how we want to handle it, once we're ready. Uh, I think the bottom line here is that Cordia plans to electrify. We want Hetchy Power to be the provider. We think it's good for all of our customers. They're a high load factor customer. They'll be bringing in more revenue. Um, we're also evaluating opportunities to serve nearby customers from the facilities that we construct. So that's the, the clean steam project. The downtown ferry and South Beach electrification project. So ferries are among the forms of transport that are required by the state to transition to zero emission. The Port of San Francisco expects over 80 megawatts of additional load due to electrification at the port. That's not just ferries, that's overall for the port. Uh, this new project in the Hetchy Capital Plan would fund transmission infrastructure to serve the ferry electrification and future port electric load growth. The port and the Water Emergency Transportation Authority are our partners in delivering this project. We have been and will continue to work together to plan and design the needed facilities. And with this funding, we will finalize design and fund our share of the construction of the facilities needed to meet the increased electric load. Our next pro uh, package of projects, we, we have a need for funding adjustments to this collection of projects that are noted on the, on the screen here. Um, funded already in the current Hetchy Plan. Recall that intervening facilities funds power work on connection of discrete projects to the PG&E owned grid. Uh, grid connections funds are used to design and build the connection of customers to PUC owned trend, uh, distribution facilities. And um, the affordable housing T&D project will uh, be used to plan for grid connection for affordable housing projects. Next up, we have redevelopment. As the city renews and revitalizes projects, uh, excuse me, properties through uh, the development process, new electrical facilities are designed and built to Hetchy Power specifications. A portion of the system is built by the developer and handed over to us for ongoing operation and a portion is built by us. This project funds the planning, design, and construction of the electric duct banks, 
for the 12 kV distribution systems to serve various developments. These are the, these are the big developments like, like those you see listed here, right? And again, in this role, we need to keep pace with the developer and meet the overall project needs for temporary construction power, as well as permanent electric facilities that will serve the vertical development. Next up, reliability and continuity of operations. You know, as you know, at its core, responsible management of an electric utility means safe and reliable service. With this funding, Hetchy Power will plan, design, and construct on electrical line to route power around portions of the Bay Corridor transmission and distribution system that's under construction, so power can continue to flow when that portion meet, needs maintenance, uh, perform repairs when needed, and replace existing electric distribution equipment. We would implement improvements through this funding on the Treasure Island switchyard, to remotely monitor its performance and to build generator connections to the switchyard for TIDA-served electric customers. Next up, we have streetlight repair and enhancement. So as you know, Hetchy Power is responsible for the operation and maintenance of the streetlights that we own. That's about 25,500 here in the city. Uh, these funds cover everything from simple outages and minor repairs, um, converting decorative pole lamps to more efficient LED, the light-emitting diode technology, um, neighbor or community-identified areas of need of street and pedestrian lighting improvements to achieve safer and more pedestrian-friendly streets. Uh, we perform pole assessment and rehabilitation with these funds and uh, work supporting the use of streetlight poles by telecommunications carriers. So that's the package of streetlight repair and enhancement activities that would be funded with this item. Next up, we have the Public Power Expansion Project. We talked about this a little bit um, earlier. We continue to work on the city goal to acquire the PG&E owned grid serving San Francisco. This project was identified in 2019 and has been in the capital plan since. The city and PG&E have, as you know, frequently had disagreements regarding whether PG&E or the city is entitled to serve specific customers and whether PG&E's terms of service are reasonable. We pay PG&E about $28 million a year to distribute power to our Hetchy Power customers. This cost is an operating cost factored into the rates we charge Hetchy Power customers for electric service. The terms PG&E imposes include oversized electrical equipment and the process PG&E controls for connection to the grid causes delays in city projects getting built, delays in city services being provided like affordable housing, updating schools and health clinics and achieving the city's climate action goals. You know, but, I'll, but for the public, I'll, I'll remind everyone that you know, Mayor Breed had asked us to prepare a report on the options for providing safe, reliable, affordable service to San Franciscans, which we did in May of 2019. Um, she and then City Attorney Herrera set, sent an indicative offer to PG&E to purchase their San Francisco electric facilities for $2.5 billion. PG&E's response said the assets are not for sale and the price is too low. So to get at that, the price is too low point, together with the city attorney, we have petitioned the California PUC, PG&E's regulator, to set a value on the PG&E assets. 
And we are working with San Francisco Planning as they prepare an environmental impact report in compliance with the California Environmental Quality Act on the project. This capital project funds these planning activities for expanding our Hetchy Public Power Service to all San Francisco residents and businesses so that all may receive more clean, reliable, accountable, equitable, affordable power service aligned with San Francisco values. The final uh, project I want to present to you today continues Hetchy Power planning, development, and construction of rooftop solar and other technologies at municipal facilities. It also find, funds the planning, development, and direct installation of energy efficiency improvements at municipal facilities. These two projects account for $40 million in the 10-year capital plan. Funding is sourced from Hetchy customers' revenues, as well as low-carbon fuel standard credit sales revenues and cap-and-trade revenues. For Clean Power SF, it funds the planning, development, and construction of larger-scale renewable and battery storage facilities at select sites. Water and power staff are currently collaborating on solar facility development at water reservoirs here in San Francisco. The Clean Power SF 10-year capital plan totals $48 million and is funded by Clean Power SF ratepayer revenues. We are evaluating these programs, both the Hetchy and Clean Power SF programs, for federal and state grant and load program dollars. Um, and if we are successful in achieving them, they will offset the revenue contributions I'm talking about today. That concludes my capital request. Uh, and that's my overview for, for Hetchy and Clean Power SF. I'm, I'm happy to take any questions you may have on the capital. No, thanks, and I think we do have some questions on capital. I, I will start it off with a couple. Um, one, in terms of the STEAM and, and the Cordia project, yes. um, which is, you know, you know raises, um, you know, questions. This is a, a vended, I mean, this is a, uh, a, a vendor that, that we have hired, um, the city has hired um, to do this stuff. So I have a couple of questions about, you know, what their independence and how, how connected they are with doing our work. Mm. Um, for example, um, do they own any of the land or any of the equipment that is just their proprietary stuff that if for some reason this uh, relationship stopped, they, you know, we would be on the hook for, you know, not having a place to do certain things um, or, you know, any equipment that we would therefore have to do. And this is sort of like a mini, mini, mini PG&E type of a question, I guess, is like, you know, what is this relationship with Cordia for STEAM? And I know you're coming back to us, so I'm not asking mm -hmm. for a full presentation, but maybe just a, a sort of an idea of, you know, what their relationship with us, with us is, which, um, good, bad, or ugly, I assume it's on the good side for starters. Yeah, I think um, these are good questions, right? I mean, I described our historic relation, our, the city's historic relationship with Cordia. Uh, the PUC's historic relationship is sort of that overseer role I talked about that mm -hmm. we do with um, our audit team and the controller's office. Um, what we're talking about, if we're successful in the Clean Steam project, is ultimately they would be our customer, right? In order for them to be our customer, we have to construct facilities to them and those facilities, those electrical facilities, would land on their property. Um, we would have a point of connection between them that would separate what we own and what they own. So if, if they, like any customer, if they went belly up, um, 
then we would still have those facilities and whoever occupied the site after they leave would be uh, um, our new customer. So they do own land for their, where their facilities are here yes. in the city? Yes. Okay. And um, then they have the franchise agreement that allows them to have the piping system in the public rights of way. Got it. And that, we'll look forward to hearing you, know, you coming back with that later. So, okay, yeah. um, on that particular question, and I don't know if anybody has follow-ups on that. And then um, I had a question. I think all of us, you know, you know, if there's a 1.1 earthquake in Patterson, you know, we hear it at 4 a.m. in the morning. So we get all these, um, and now with the rain, you know, we're getting them left and right. And it's a wonderful, you know, resource for us as commissioners to, you know, see what you guys have your fingers on and what's going on around town. Um, the one that is probably the most disturbing to me personally is the ones that come in for Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. Power's on, the power's out. The power's on, the power's out. Now, we know it's this is a redevelopment area, and it's very complex, and they're building a whole new city out there. Maybe just a quick update on the timeline. When, when do the customers out there finally have some type of semblance where their power isn't going out in the middle of their Thanksgiving dinner? That's the right. thing that hits us at least me the most, you know, it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. And I've heard complaints about that in general, you know, blaming everybody on earth as mm -hmm. people that don't lose their power have. Can you give me a little timeline about, you know, where that final correction is going to be so we're not hearing about the powers yes. out on Treasure Island? Just a, a quick summary of that, please. And those yes, are my so, two questions. So the, um, a little bit for the members of the public who may be listening, a little background. Recall that uh, when San Francisco took ownership or began to take ownership of um, Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island from the federal government, uh, it formed the Treasure Island Development Authority to receive that, those assets, receive that, that property. Um, and we, Water Power and Sewer, all act as a contractor to TIDA to provide service to the legacy um, customers on Treasure Island. Uh, we now have, in addition to legacy customers, where TIDA sets the rates for water, power, and sewer services um, and has the customer relationship, we now have new customers with the new buildings coming online. Um, so, the, for example, the Bristol, um, a, a, um, a mixed uh, income um, uh, apartment tower, we have also Maceo May, uh, veterans housing that um, has uh, occupancy now. Uh, those new buildings are on the new parts of the system that have already been redeveloped. So we are serving those customers as Hetchy Power customers. Uh, Tida no longer has a customer relationship with those, um, those, those um, buildings on, on Treasure Island. Um, we are, through this budget proposal, proposing to connect the legacy customer's uh, distribution system to the new switchgear that serves the new customers I just described. That should improve um, reliability for the legacy customers. Um, the, the overall TIDA development timeline, um, it, you know, it's getting more certain uh, but it is an extended timeline for overall development. Uh, we can, we can um, consult with TIDA and give you a, uh, an accurate you know, snapshot of where they think 
what they think the timeline is. Uh, but I will say to you that given our shared concern about outages for legacy customers, the um, request we have here to implement improvements to um, remotely monitor the performance of that switchyard and to build generator connections and to connect the Tida-served electric customers to that new switchyard should improve their overall reliability during that extended development period that they're facing. So you asked me for a timeline. Mm -hmm. I clearly did not give you a, a timeline because I don't know it. And I, frankly, every time I've been given a timeline over the years, it, it seems to get extended. So um, I'm going to loop back with the Tida folks, and um, we can respond with a, a timeline in writing to you for follow-up. But I, I do want to assure you that if, if you approve of the funding we're requesting here, I expect there to be improvement. Yes, that was, um, I think you've answered as well as you could. I know there's not a final, final answer, but it's a, it definitely is a concern um, into the, in the community. Those are my only questions. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ajami? Ms. Hell, I actually wanted to go um, to slide 33 on the Cordia um, project. I've been actually mm -hmm. meaning to ask you this, um, and I saw it in the budget um, slides. So I waited for the past five, couple of weeks uh, to have this conversation with you. So on the source of steam, um, you know, obviously, you know, some of the uh, European countries do have this district heating mm -hmm. and generally they use it for both heating and cooling. So the same, they use water and the water is used for heating and then goes, the, you know, the cooled water goes back to cool down their um, uh, facilities that requires cooling down and then the same heat then is used again and again. Um, so my question for you is, as we're talking about us decarbonizing using electricity to um, provide that steam. I'm wondering if there's there are other extra sources of steam around that we can repurpose for this rather than actually generating that steam ourselves. I'm thinking, um, I don't know where the entry point to this system is, so that obviously matters. Um, but do we have, for example, a steam coming out of, I don't know, our new wastewater treatment plant that um, it's going to... Um, be operational uh, in the east side soon, or other places that we have steam coming out? Or can this be repurposed by um, using and repurposing water that we have and do the same thing, doing both cooling and heating, partially because that reduces the amount of electricity that we use. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of creates the circular system that is not necessarily as demanding. and frankly, it's going to meet our decarbonization goals much faster and easier than just saying over your, and whatever solar energy or uh, renewable energy that we needed to use to um, create this steam can be repurposed for other things, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so I don't know what the relationship with Cordia exactly um, entails, and I know you're talking to them and we are, they're franchising and potentially we'll be working with them to evolve this relationship, I'm wondering as part of that evolution, we can look into other ways of doing this. Um, so this may actually 
partially fit into the request you are having here. Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to see if we can look into that a little bit more. Sure, I'd be happy to have the conversation with Accordia folks. I want to be clear that um, we are not, we would not be in the business of manufacturing the steam. We would be providing a different fuel source for them to be in that business, continue in that business. So I just want to make sure we're clear on the, the different roles. Yes. Um, but we can certainly talk to them about the, the ideas you're, that you're offering here. I don't, I don't know. I know that some of our customers have um, thermal demands. Um, but I believe they provide for their thermal demands on site. Um, and I think they're too far away from the existing steam loop to, um, to do anything other than that. Um, but we can certainly look at, at opportunities. The, um, the decarbonization requirements that are coming from the state and the city um, may provide other opportunities, and, and we should be looking at that. And they should have a business interest in that. So there may be a, a nice sweet spot there. And that's exactly what I'm hoping. Like yeah. that would, this would sort of trigger those conversations, mm -hmm. and then be, so you can build something that's a little bit even more sustainable and, um, you know, environmental. Forward-looking. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Gotcha. So I would appreciate that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Maxwell? Thank you. Could you explain franchise agreement? When I think of franchise, I think of McDonald's. So, <laughs> you know, like a franchise. So could you explain that a little bit, please? Um, yes, as a non-lawyer, I can give you the non-lawyer answer. That probably would be better. <laughs> um, <laughs> no so, so the um, utilities, for-profit utilities that use the public rights-of-way um, in order to have access to the public rights of way, have, have over time struck in this stricken a relationship with their, the city in which they operate. So for San Francisco, we have um, a franchise agreement with PG&E Electric, a franchise agreement with PG&E Gas, a franchise agreement with the steam loop operator, Cordia. This allows the operator to um, use the public rights of way for their facilities. Uh, in consideration of that, they remit revenue to the city. And in the case of PG&E, are obligated to move their facilities when they are in the way of a city project. I see. Yes, please. I want to add one clarification. The entity that provides the franchise is the city and county of San Francisco, so it's the Board of Supervisor who passes an ordinance and gives that franchise, and they last in, until they get um, um, terminated. So, th so the, the provision and the remittance um, go between the city and the franchisees, not between the PUC. Mm. Oh, I see. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, um, okay. That, that's good. Thank you. Can, can I ask a question? So does that mean then the revenue goes to the city? Yes. Oh. And the role that we play together with the audit team um, is to help the controller's office with that math, right? Because okay. on the PG&E side, we know how much um, we have used of PG&E services and what portion of the services uh, remittances are due to the transactions we have with PG&E. Uh, and then uh, we assist them in, in looking at the electric bill contributions. 
kind of a sniff test type of, of assessment from the power staff. Okay, I, I have a question, but I'm gonna ask it later, but thank you. Okay. So when we, when we franchise, what are some of the, um, uh, what do we look at when we charge? What are some of the reasons why we charge whatever it is we charge them? What, you know, what's our fee structure, I guess? Yeah, so this, this goes to what um, Mr. Flynn was speaking to, which is the PUC isn't doing the franchise, no. and the city is, right? Yes. Um, and typically, I, I think uh, cities recognize that there is a service that, it, the, that um, residents and businesses would benefit from, mm -hmm. and then they decide, okay, is this a, a good counterparty to provide that service? Typically, they are services that require large investment in infrastructure that ends up in the public right-of-way, uh, where you don't want you know, like competing systems in the same public right-of-way, lots of pipes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it makes sense for a monopoly service provider, a regulated monopoly like PG&E or like Cordia. Cordia is the only steam loop operator in San Francisco. They're the only franchisee for that service. So... When the city, so you say that the city does charge them a fee. The city, I wouldn't call it, I guess I wouldn't call it a fee. Um, it's, no. a, it's a cut, right? It's okay. typically a cut of the revenues that, oh. the, that the franchisee would be getting. So we share in the, the revenues. Service. We share in the revenues. The city shares in the revenues. Correct. Okay, thank you. You had a follow-up, Commissioner? Okay. So, no other uh, comments on capital. Where are we at? We are finished with my presentation. I thank you very much for the attention, for the feedback. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Okay, well, thank you very much, Ms. Hale. Um, as Welcome. we um, have the fourth of our meetings, let us open this up to uh, public comment. I just wanted to say, yes. if it's okay, that this was really good. I, I really appreciate it and all the work. Um, all of you have been great, and we, um, you know, I know our job, I feel, is to, we're supposed to scrutinize and look at things, but you all are, are really, we, we have a, a, a premium service here, and, and you all are part of that, so thank you. Thank you, and I, and I would be remiss if I did not call out, give a shout out to Michael Clark, who is my budget lead in power, made all those presentation materials look, <laughs> look useful and helpful to you, so thank you, Michael. Thank you all. Right, and, and I think uh, all of us uh, would re be remiss in this chair, I'd like to say, all, just not just Barbara Hale and your team, but you know, all, all, all four different presentations that we've had have just been, you can, you can see how much work went in and, and how thorough it was. And as I've said, uh, you know, if there's anything that uh, somebody had to pick uh, during the course of the year to follow the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, it's this this uh, budget hearing where you really not only get to look at the budgets, but you actually get to see what the heck does everybody actually do to make this city work the way it is. And this has been uh, very enlightening, not just to me, and the, um, but I, I would hope to everybody that's listening. So again, I want to thank you. Commissioner Jami. I just want to acknowledge, I really appreciated those yellow um, boxes on yeah. top of each one of those capital projects that said this is where it belongs. So <laughs> I acknowledge that I That's personally very much appreciated the way this was organized. Thank you and for your presentation and right. everybody's hard work. Any other um, 
comments or questions before we go to public comment? Just one yes. last item, yes. um, commissioners. Sure. Thank you for your comments, um, commissioners. And just so you know, you obviously have had the presentation that we made. There are a number of comments that you've made, um, some of which are longer term, some of which are shorter term, but we have made notations of those about mm -hmm. how we can incorporate some of your 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 your, your comments and questions as to into how we do business. So I appreciate them. Um, and there were a, a couple of um, things that, in terms of our next presentation, when the budget comes, that we're going to try and incorporate into our, our, our budget planning document for, for you to, when you, when you consider this for approval. So thank, thank you. you. Final. Okay. Thank you, uh, Mr. Herrera. Okay. Um, Donna, let's open this up to uh, public comment. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number four? Seeing none. See none. And were there any um, folks that said they were going to call in and made those no. arrangements? There are none. So that being said, we will. Um, uh, I will say that we are now adjourned. And thank you, everybody, and look forward to seeing everybody next Tuesday and and at the uh, or no two weeks. Two weeks. A week from Tuesday is our next regularly yeah. scheduled meeting. Thank you.